0: Children of all ages, welcome to this, another Fuds On Film podcast. I'm Scott Morris and I'm joined today by Drew Tavendale. Hello. And today we are browsing through the case files of MK Ultra, or at the very least we're taking a look at two very contrasting films based loosely around the theories of brainwashing. Uh, we're going to be talking about Joe Wright's 2011 outing, Hannah, and John Frankenheimer's 1962 classic, The Manchurian Candidate. We will just dive straight in to taking a look at Hannah. If a director's career path were to be formulated as some kind of geometric series, Joe Wright's would be unsolvable. Uh, There's a a leap from straight period beast, Pride and Prejudice, to a stoic period drama, Atonement, to the stoic drama, The Soloist. That has some sort of obvious arc to it. But the neatness of this graph is rather ruined by 2011's Hannah, which is a balls-out mental born-identity-meets-crank fever dream. But... (laughs) Perhaps I am getting ahead of myself. We're introduced to Eric Heller, played by Eric Banna, out in the isolated snowy wilderness, uh, raising his daughter Hannah, Tersia Ronan, in the usual homeschool topics of hunting, hand-to-hand combat, marksmanship, and, you know, all the usual activities for a growing teenager.
1: Oh yeah, it's, it's the regular primary school curriculum, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's what we all go through, certainly up in Scotland. You, you need to be prepared for the winters uh, when winter... Is coming. As a sidebar, I have a policy of always r- pronouncing Ralph Fiennes as Ralph Fiennes because it's clearly spelled Ralph, <laughs> not Rafe. Now, if I am going to do that, surely I should be calling Sertia Ronan Saurice Ronan because there is no logical way to get from that combination of letters to Sertia. Uh, oh,
1: but it's a different language, Scott, an Irish name.
0: Eh, I don't think that's a good excuse. Anyway, Sertia <laughs> Ronan. Uh, yeah, it's clear from the off that something is unusual about the situation, and I mean the film, not searches spelling of her name. Um, <laughs> after all, there's normally very little need for teenagers to memorise a so detailed a cover identity, unless perhaps they are attempting to bamboozle an off-licence assistant. It transpires that the Hellers escaped to the Wilds after CIA bigwig Marissa Weakler, played by Kate Blanchett, ordered their deaths successfully in the case of Hannah's mother. Uh, With Hannah now having grown and proving to be sufficiently levelled in the badass skill categories, Eric gives a rather unusual gift to Hannah, a transponder that will reveal their location to those who've been looking for them, which will kick off their, frankly, poorly detailed plan to get a measure of revenge for Hannah's mother and see Marissa pay. Eric heads off on the run, and Hannah waits to meet the capture squad. Now, from here on in, it's pretty hard to say if it actually goes according to plan. I rather assume not, as after Hannah's taken to a CIA black site for interrogation, which proves fatal to most of the base's staff, and also the poor chick pretending to be Marissa, Hannah the exclude escape, only to have Marissa sick. The uniquely tailored assassin Isaacs, played by Tom Hollander, and his skin-headed henchman on Hannah's trail. Now this leads to a fairly unique trail of violence across Europe, with Isaacs being rather unpleasant to the people who show kindness to Hannah on her trek through Germany for a pre-arranged meeting point with Eric, where all of these moving parts meet in a rather final way for most of them. Now, this potted recap rather minimises the dizzying array of locations and set pieces that it takes to get there, all thrown at you at a frenetic pace. Almost too frenetic for its own good, in fact. I dimly remember watching this on release and being rather overwhelmed by it all, and I think our general reaction was somewhere in the region of meh.
1: That's largely how I remember it, yes, it was <laughs> largely meh.
0: Yeah. I'm actually happy to say that I enjoyed this a great deal more on second viewing, perhaps because I was pre-warned as to how quirky <laughs> and how, in many places, outright silly the film is.
1: Yeah, I found something that, similar, similar, I suppose we carry on to mm-hmm. the end of that thought, that I do remember finding it yes, meh and, I think in a few points, a little tiring. Mm-hmm. The first time, but the second viewing of a few days ago, I found it much, much more engaging.
0: Yeah, I think forewarned is definitely forearmed here. Um, mm. th- I think that there's still some moments where the dramatic elements are a little tough to reconcile with the high concept nature of both the action sequences and the revelations about Hannah's origins, which I'm sure surprises no one to find out there's something unusual about. But that's not so much the actor's fault. Banna and Ronan have as believable a relationship and reactions as you could expect them to have, considering. Uh, but- <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's, it's,
1: there's a lot of caveats there yes. with that, really. So. <laughs> well, the former CIA agent adopted father who raised the girl in the wilderness of Finlish <laughs> Forest doesn't have a normal relationship with the girl, you don't say <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, it does rather get undercut by the overarching daftest of it all. And on occasions, I'm, I'm left wishing they'd played it rather less straight than they do. But as alluded to earlier, we already have that film and it's crank and crank too high voltage. And visually, at least, uh, it's not a million miles away from those two masterpieces of stupidity, which I intend is a high compliment. Uh, and
1: uh, Yes, yeah, same, same sort of soundtrack as well. Yeah, uh, as yeah. That. So it helps sort of um, cement that connection there. mm
0: mm-hmm the next thing I say special mention must be made of the Chemical Brothers uh, pounding <laughs> soundtrack which is really well integrated into the movie very cleverly in many places and it provides a real driving heartbeat for many essential sequences and it's just edited together really really tightly and yeah I think on the second time the only thing that annoyed me was Blanchett's rather broad southern accent which borders on parody but I suppose is at least recognisable
1: for <laughs> yeah, once it's, it's- unlike so many of her accents it's from this planet
0: yeah
1: <laughs> i'm not sure you could localize it a great deal more than that but it's okay it's an earth accent <laughs> i think it's not from pluto or whatever does in most other films
0: it's not her russian accent <laughs>
1: yeah have... oh, but hold on it was ukrainian <laughs> yeah, ukrainian yeah, yeah. by way of mars <laughs>
0: Anyway, that's a small point and insignificant in the grand scheme of things, and I'm, I'm actually really glad I visited this. I'm much happier recommending this time round than it was on first view. Um, some really, really nice action sequences sort of hold this film together, quite inventively done, lots of really quite impressively varied and distinct interesting visuals to go along with it and uh, yeah a thumping soundtrack and uh, better acting than the source material possibly deserves um, but yeah it all hangs together i think actually quite well But we you just have to take cognizance that it's a bit silly going into it and have that of uh, that the away at the back of your mind
1: yeah for me again yes i don't think i liked it quite as much the second viewing as you but certainly a great deal more than the first time and it is it's quite interesting it's got a bit more humour than I remember. I remember it being sort of a bit self-serious when I watched it the first time and I didn't feel that that much this way. Although some of the humour does come at the expense of Hannah, who seems to have put all of her special attributes into strength and endurance and none into perception and intelligence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, too much to add to what you've said. It's unusual to see a film like that both with A, a female lead... Because yes, the obvious thing that it's like is something like the born identity, yeah, um, where it's a generally very powerful man in that role, and so this is in fact a teenage girl. So that it's quite refreshingly different from that point of view. Just how many hardcore action films do you see with a teenage girl in it? Because I can't really think of many.
0: No, uh, uh, I mean the closest you're getting is probably the Hunger Games stuff, which isn't really action in, in that. Not in that way, no. Yeah. And
1: it's more about Jennifer Lawrence's character's skill rather than strength. And yeah. So not that sort of hand to hand combat that's in this. Yeah. That's nice. It's just, when you see a lot of films in the same genre, just anything that mixes it up a little is always welcome. Yes. Uh, the soundtrack's great. Uh, interesting settings are they. It's actually, I remember, I didn't check this, but I think this is a relatively low rated film, like a 12 or something. Despite the fact mm. people are. <laughs> or was it maybe a 15 i don't know the fact that people are shot to death with arrows and then tied upside down hanging from the inside of the jacob Grimm house in berlin <laughs> <laughs> then sort of haunted well wanted abandoned theme parks and the fiberglass dinosaurs and stuff and then you've got the forest and then sunny parts of north africa southern france things yeah it's very very varied setting it's visually interesting as is Tom Hollander. Yes. And <laughs> that's, I that's, like seeing
0: Tom Hollander yeah. in most things, but he's particularly unique in this instance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I actually think I do remember finding him odder yeah. the first time around. This <laughs> time he didn't stand out as much to me. Maybe I was expecting that and was concentrating more on the rest, but the shock of bleached blonde hair and the shell <laughs> suits and things, that's a very strange character. Yes. Um, why that character's like that, I have no idea, but it's again, distinctive, which is enough. <laughs> Genuinely, it's not a brilliant film, but just it's pretty entertaining. The only thing I really don't like about this film is Cate Blanchett, because mm-hmm. I have come to the realization, that I come and go with her some things, but I think I've come to the realization that I really, really don't like Cate Blanchett. Yeah, <laughs> I think accent is maybe something to do with it, because she can't do them. Yeah, and and it's not an accent I particularly care for anyway. That one. I mean, and I appreciate that people might not like our accents. That's fine. It's, I just don't like American. But <laughs> maybe when it's a fake Southern American accent, it's um, it's what makes it really bad.
0: Yeah, and I just checked. This was a twelve A passed uncut in the UK. So I guess when yeah. that was handed in, it was handed in with a nice big fat stack of cash.
1: Yes, it's, thing, it's quite brittle in parts, and even though it happens off screen, it's not in any way subtle about the fact that. Tom Hollander has tortured and killed that guy, the, the clown guy, yeah. with arrows. And then you see his body hanging upside down with arrows protruding from it. Yeah. <laughs> In a film that conceivably a three-year-old could be taken to see, depending on your parent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no one really gets out of this well. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everyone on screen is going to die apart from one character, I believe. Uh, yeah. Including, sadly, that the, the family that uh, Hannah travels with that's sort of headed up by Jason Fleming and Olivia Williams, who um, I think I found quite annoying on first time through, but when you actually listen more closely to their dialogue and the little barbs and Jason Fleming's little asides, they're actually uh, really quite funny and really quite g- relatable all yeah, the way through
1: it. Yeah, I don't think they get it that well. And oh. then, so I'm thinking too, I'm now sort of stuck on this idea of this being rated 12A because there's a bit where somebody's grandmother gets shot in the head at point-blank range in cold-blooded murder in a 12A.
0: No, just like the Disney films do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've had this discussion before about exactly what on earth is going on with film ratings these days. But this is actually one of the most egregious examples, isn't it? Um,
1: I know, I remember we talked, um, I think it may have been under one liner, rather than Fudge and film, we're talking about Total Recall, the remake of Total Recall and how yeah. violent that was. But I think because a lot of the violence in this is more up close and personal, particularly like that grandmother thing, like, yeah. this is possibly worse. And again, and it's so cold there was nothing well. legally stopping a three-year-old be taken to this film. <laughs> you know. Yeah.
0: No, I guess we can just hope that some parents have self restraint and control, and uh, yeah, well, well... Which they don't, we'll so um, all those kids
1: are screwed, but yeah. okay.
0: <laughs> Well, they're, they're still probably better off watching this than, say, Transformers, so, you know.
1: Now, this film, I guess, is brainwashing of a start. It's someone being indoctrinated perhaps, certainly brought up um, in a vacuum away from any other influences, and more or less being honed by I want to do one particular task mm-hmm. And then what happens when all those, all that uh, training in a vacuum meets reality and other people What then if you take someone who's already fully formed and to try to brainwash them? Mm-hmm. So I assume you would finish talking about Hannah
0: Yes I have, so I guess that takes us to the Manchurian candidate
1: So yes, what would you do with brainwashing somebody fully formed? How would that go? Well, maybe you just have to use magic. because I think maybe the actual brainwashing component of Hannah is a bit more believable, and that it's just a, bit of a conditioning thing. Yeah. But anyway, let's go back in time. Courier.
0: <laughs>
1: I hope you're doing the hands just of like in Wind World. The hands. <laughs> Good man. Courier, <laughs> 1952. A platoon of U.S. soldiers in a brothel is given the hurry up by their universally beloved Sergeant Raymond Shaw, played by Lawrence Harvey. Grumbling at their fun being spoiled, it seems once again, by this joyless and charmless martinet, the platoon set out on patrol. A few days later, and the platoon, who had been reported missing, reappear, bearing stories of the heroism and daring do of Shaw, citations for his bravery from the platoon commander Captain Bennett Marco, and a description from every surviving member of Raymond Shaw as the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. Such irreconcilable statements can be explained, though, by the fact that the platoon were, in fact, kidnapped by the Chinese while on their patrol and flown to Manchuria, where they were brainwashed and programmed by Chinese and Soviet experts. We are treated to surreal scenes of the soldiers believing that they are attending a presentation of a women's institute-like society, though rather than prim and proper ladies, the attendees are all bigwigs from China and the USSR. As the soldiers... Brainwashed to see Shaw as their saviour so that he can return the hero and be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, calmly sit and listen. Shaw is instructed to murder two of his squad mates, which he does, without question, calmly and blithely. Controlled by a deck of cards, and in particular the Queen of Diamonds, the unaware and unassuming assassin Raymond returns to the US, where, after a period of two years, he is tested to ensure that his mechanisms are still intact, before being turned over to his US handler who it turns out, just happens to be his overbearing, domineering and sinister mother. The plan is that Raymond will be used to assassinate the presidential nominee at a party convention, leading to the vice presidential nominee and Raymond's stepfather rallying a nation of viewers to hysteria to sweep us up into the White House with powers that will make martial law seem like anarchy. That is, unless Frank Sinatra's Captain Marco can get to the bottom of the terrible dreams that haunt him every night and stop short, you know, bringing about the election of Senator Iceland, the Manchurian candidate. Uh, it is amusing that Manchurian candidate became a byword for brainwashed sleeper, despite the fact that the sleeper facilitates the candidate, but is not the candidate himself. But I digress, but such <laughs> things annoy me. Uh, it's a thoroughly entertaining conspiracy thriller, uh, as well as a biting satire, and often damn funny with it, on both the McCarthy-esque right wing and the holier-than-now liberal left. And despite being very much of its time, that just after the end of McCarthyism and smack bang in the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, it is still deeply relevant today. With the rhetorics of the likes of Donald Trump, it still has relevance. But I won't actually say particularly now because people have been noting that it rings true today for at least the last 30 years. (laughs) And I say 30 years rather than 50 years because it disappeared for 25 years because... Frank Sinatra bought the rights to it and didn't re-release it till 1988. And uh, one of the many reasons
0: to dislike that prick.
1: (laughs) the belief was for a long time that because it came, it got so caught up in the public consciousness and this idea that this brainwashing was possible that it had something to do, or this sort of ability had something to do with Lee Harvey Oswald assassinating JFK. Mm. And so Sinatra being quite left-wing, etc. People thought that that was why he had it removed from print for so many years. And it turns out, no, it was just because he was in a dispute over money with United Artists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that digression aside, let me get back to tell you a bit more about the film. I'd have a few grumbles with it, but they're, they're really minor and they're magnified simply due to familiarity with the film, I think. For example... While the sinister forces of communism wait two whole years before doing anything with Sergeant Shaw, the two romances of the film are bizarrely accelerated. Janet Lee's Eugenie goes from meeting the stranger Bennett Marco on a train to ending things with her fiancé moving in with Marco in literally the space of one afternoon.
0: One of the many <laughs> reasons to dislike Frank Sinatra. <laughs>
1: <laughs> While Raymond goes from reuniting with his gambly-treated and cruelly-dispatched old flame to becoming a newlywed with her in an evening. I'm blaming Sinatra for that too. <laughs> <laughs> and for the negatives, that's it, more or less. Or, except maybe old Blue Eyes himself. <laughs> no great actor, Sinatra. And no great favourite of Scott's, clearly. But this film is far and away his best performance. Yeah. To damn it with faint praise, I guess. Alas, though, that Sinatra really isn't a dramatic natural. For example, the scene where Raymond tells Marco about the content of their fellow squads mate's stream, dream, he sees Sinatra walk calmly across to Lawrence Harvey, before then roughly grabbing Harvey's arm and asking him wild-eyed how he knows that. It's painfully <laughs> stilted.
0: Yeah. that poor monologue at the end. Whatever did it do to deserve having Frank Sinatra perpetrated upon it? No
1: <laughs> yes, it's the it's the real Achilles heel of the film, it is Sinatra. And it's got to be stunt casting in a way because the early 1960s, Sinatra's at its peak. Yeah. The rat-packing thing, so maybe that's just simply to get more people to come see it. It's a pity, though, because the rest of it is so good. Lawrence Harvey is really interesting. Yeah, His manner in this film is cold, awkward, Perhaps a little wooden?
0: I would say he's probably the kindest, warmest, bravest man I've ever met. So <laughs> I don't know where you're getting that from. I believe it's uh,
1: <laughs> That could be easily mistaken for bad acting. But while I'm not really not familiar with Harvey's other roles, I really think not. Mm. To me, it's a representation of Shaw's insular nature. His uncomfortableness with the world, his inability to fit into the world he neither understands nor belongs in. Now, I would say that interpretation is given credence by the way he transforms and absolutely yeah. lights up when he is with, or even talks about, Jocelyn, yeah. um, his love interest. And viewed like that, it is in fact a fine performance, well gauged, and also makes Shaw a rather pitiable character rather mm. than the ogre you might think him to be. And keeping on with casting, while I don't know how it seemed then, yeah, for people <laughs> of our generation... One of the strangest things is seeing Angela Lansbury, you know, Mrs. Potts (laughs) from Beauty and the Beast, (laughs) sweet mystery-solving Cabot co-writer and amateur (laughs) sleuth Jessica Fletcher as the big bad. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just picturing a typewriter in my mind now (laughs) and seeing the keys going down as that music plays. As Raymond's scheming, evil, amoral mother, she is far removed from any other role I was accustomed to seeing her in that it was a real shocker the first time I saw this but she's great because she is evil (laughs) so evil you would say that she's evil like the fruits of the devil evil (laughs) James Gregory as Senator Eisen is also great, his bumbling performance in committee, his inability to remember the exact number of communists he has absolute proof of the existence of in the Department of Defence, his role as a pecked husband, and the fact he gets to deliver the best joke in the entire film when he looks at a bottle of Heinz ketchup and then tells the world that the absolutely definitive number of communists he has proof of is 57. <laughs> Though perhaps the one this isn't a casting issue, it's more this is the, about the how the film goes, but though perhaps the one thing that I would change is that I wouldn't have had Iceland in, in the conspiracy. He seems yeah. too stupid to pull it off. <laughs> For me better that he just remained the Patsy yeah. and evil Jessica Fletcher, the power behind the throne. But all I will say is do yourself a favour if you haven't seen this. Why don't you pass the time by playing a little solitaire and watching the Manchurian candidate? That's an order, soldier. <laughs>
0: Thoroughly enjoy this film and I, I don't think i'd seen it in a while uh probably not since the uh perfectly competent but entirely unnecessary uh, remake uh, came mm-hmm. out and i think I'm pretty sure i should watched it again round about then but yeah it's just such an enjoyable film to watch now certainly second to that recommendation perhaps i'm doing a disservice to 60s as well as mainstream um studio cinema <laughs> but this is seems unusually transgressive in a great many respects I suppose, like you say, maybe enough time had passed where you could get away with just the uh, knocking McCarthyism and all that stuff. But you know, you surely still must have been a little bit politically sensitive. And uh,
1: oh yeah, apparently the the writer himself too was um, was massively surprised. Cause it's based on a a novel by Richard Condon. Mm-hmm. The Richard Condon, yes, yes. And when the film was released, he was genuinely surprised that. So much of the satire was basically left untouched from the book because yeah. you can do that sort of thing in a book easily but a film with frank sinatra
0: <laughs> yeah so it's a film with some pretty transgressive politics it's got two leads both of which are very damaged both Barco and you know for the obvious reasons of his his conditioning and his you know nightmares that he's having from it he's you know, pretty vulnerable in that respect mm. and shaw himself uh, is I suppose. The other lead is also obviously damaged and wasn't a less charismatic place to come from the first instance, so uh, there seems to be an awful lot of detail in there that i wouldn't have really expected to come from a uh, mainstream studio outing at the time and also points such as um, frankenheimer's and his whoever his uh cinematographer was the, the the scenes you mentioned where they're doing that kind of pans around the women's institute like uh, meetings then it turns into the Politburo and goes around and it's got you can see it coming from you know the various different people's perspective on it that's a really cleverly done sequence Mm-hmm. really visually quite a good way of pulling you into that narrative and it, it does such a really good job of that
1: works in a few ways there because it's first of all it's kind of surreal mm-hmm. which fits in with it being about brainwashing and these people not really knowing what's happening to them yeah as well as visually explaining actually what's happened without having to say it so much yeah the audience you can get that as well as it being understanding that the like a kind of fractured minds of the soldiers and why they're having these nightmares too
0: yeah, uh, a really clever scene, and there's a number of scenes through it. Uh, there's, I have a few niggles that are almost not worth recounting. It's, uh, it is perhaps convenient that Shaw's trigger phase and visual cues so readily stumbled across in real life somehow. That's a, uh, that's a little weak.
1: Yeah. In the in the bar, the scene in the bar where he gets triggered by the radio, that's, that's not so bad, but the... Um... The fact that his girlfriend turns up wearing the Queen of Diamonds <laughs> costume—little on the nose—that's yes. a little forced, I think. But the the radio all lets slide. Um, there's got to be some way for Marco to get a clue, and the things that are said in the radio don't sound so awkward. Yeah, But yes, the the Queen of Diamonds costume's a bit forced.
0: I think it's actually the barman saying it if memory serves. Uh, but at any rate, it's uh, same same difference. Uh, and I, I almost don't want to mention it because. But I suppose we should um, if, if you were making this film today Everyone would be crying about it, Having a whitewashing problem This is probably more a geopolitical issue Than it is diversity given the era uh, I don't suppose there's so many you know, Chinese and Korean actors walking about, Given the relative states of the politics at the time uh, But while I'll almost by KD As sort of generic Asian Even though he's what Sudanese and Egyptian and English <laughs> or something. I have rather less sympathy for the world's most Italian looking Korean, Henry Silver. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. I mean, you know how Dr. No is supposed to be <laughs> Asian? He looks about as Asian as Doctor No does.
0: Yeah. I mean we should really just be happy Mickey Rudy's not hanging around with a set of false teeth. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, minor niggles again And oh yeah, um, Angela Lansbury Oh my gosh um, you, <laughs> What what a role
1: And um, oh, She's fantastic isn't it? Not only is
0: she fantastic but she's she's not just Generically evil for evil's sake you can, She has her own agendas And some fairly complex motivations I mean certainly by the end of it You can, you almost feel sorry for what she's had to do <laughs> Which is another nice bit of writing When you can get away with something like that Yeah, just, just a, a really well written And well realised performance from all of the main characters are protagonists and antagonists in the film, and that just all adds up to making it really, really great. Mm -hmm. I will not hear a bad word said about it apart from Frank Sinatra.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is two um... words, really. (laughs) Yes, I suppose it is. So
0: yeah, two very different takes on brainwashing there. I think the only way you can really compare and contrast them is they have the same overarching theme. They're two very different takes on what you can expect from something with so general a a concept uh, taken to very different extremes. However, I would certainly recommend both of them to you, and if you have somehow made it to this point in your cinematic career without seeing the Manchurian Candidate, then you definitely need to get that sorted out.
1: Yes, and make sure that it's 1962 one, not the 2004 one with Meryl Streep. Yes. Which, despite being a Meryl Streep <laughs> film, isn't entirely awful, and I remember it being quite entertaining, and Liev Schreiber in the, the lead role is pretty good. But it's another one of those utterly pointless remakes. Yeah, it's so similar to the original, but slightly less good in every way. And the original exists. Just watch the original. Yes, even if it does have Frank Sinatra.
0: <laughs> I, I forget who said it's originally. But why don't you start remaking bad films, not the good yes. ones? You know, do the, do the bad ones better. So we will be back with you and. Oh, mere 10 days with another general catch-up Of what's been kicking around recently And um, we'd like to take a moment as usual Just to thank everyone who's been uh, Sharing her links on the Twitters or The Facebooks, um, you can hit us up on Either of those at uh, twitter.com Com slash fuds on film or facebook.com slash fuds on film. Email us if you like, podcast at fuds on film as well. Um, I think particular mentions must go to the folks at the Magic Lantern with their excellent podcast and Lanterncast who always happy to see them digging what we do and of course the folks at, uh, well in particular at BlakesWright on Twitter who does the very entertaining I'm the Host podcast which is very much worth checking out if you haven't done so as well who we're glad to have amused somewhat with our digressions into talking about interocular heroin injection <laughs> someone had to appreciate it and even if this is just you Blake I'm happy that we have reached out and touched someone
1: well, look, we have caused the feelings of contraction in pregnant women because they were laughing so much at our <laughs> discussion of intraocular heroin injections <laughs> no, but it's, um, it's powerful powerful stuff okay. you should seek that episode. <laughs>
0: We're going to have to come with a government health warning soon, I think. <laughs> so, um, as I say, we'll be back with you on the 20th of this month, so close to the end of the year, so close. And uh, until then, take care of yourself and each other. Goodbye. Very well.